Hey, you're listening to the Dear Seekers podcast. I'm your host, Sasha Xiao. This is the first episode. I do want to tell you a little bit about who I am and what I'm trying to do here. As a former TV news reporter, fashion editor, creative director, and now social media marketer, my life has been taking detours after detours, making milestones and having failures. Things I thought I was crazy about turn out didn't matter. Dream jobs turn into nightmares. Mistakes become lessons. I have to admit, many things I haven't figured out yet. But one thing is certain. The more I know, the more I realize <laughs> I don't know. As a perfectionist with a slight OCD, putting things out there without knowing all the details and answers is the most nerve-wracking thing. The urge of waiting for the perfect result before sharing is so real. Even for this intro, for example, I have rewritten it probably about 99 times. There is a chance that you are listening to the hundredth version. I also thought, hmm. Maybe I shouldn't release it till when it's perfect. But what is perfection? Is there such a thing as "quote unquote" making it? As I'm approaching my thirties, the answer has become pretty clear to me. No, there is no such thing as being perfect or final destinations. We could be at different milestones or stages of our lives, but we are all on this journey together. I started Dear Seekers for two reasons. One, through the real conversation with some inspiring and creative women, I hope you are able to take away some of the recipes that have worked for them, and apply your own ingredients. Although these women may have achieved some pretty cool milestones in their lives, the most inspiring part is they are actually still seeking to be more tomorrow than they are today. And the second is a selfish reason: I'm hungrier than ever for some real talks and deeper connections. This podcast will be a great vehicle for me to listen, to learn, and to share. And I started to also get this feeling like, what am I doing? Like, is fashion kind of pointless? Is it kind of frivolous? There's so many designers. What am I going to do? I'm just going to work for another designer. I'm just going to be another designer. Like, I don't really get what the point of this is. That was Stephanie Ayop. A beautiful and talented soul, who I'm lucky enough to call a friend. Prior to creating her own design studio, Bonset, she was no stranger to the fashion industry, having worked at powerhouses like Philip Lim, Greta Constantine, and had her illustration work published in Vogue Italia, Fashion Canada. Stephanie already had her foot in the door, and has established herself in a circle many of us may have dreamed of. But she decided to step back and reevaluate what really matters to her. This is a story ends up right here in Toronto, but makes stop along the way in New York, Paris, and many more. And it all started with a little girl's passion for drawing. I grew up in a family where everyone is an artist or everyone is creative in some way. So. My grandfather was an architect, and my grandmother's a painter, and my aunt's a dancer, and my parents were actors, and my mom's a writer. So there's so, there was always a lot of creativity encouraged. I was always making stuff. I was always drawing, and that was kind of my quiet time would just be to go and draw. 
growing up, Stephanie thought she would eventually be an illustrator. Well, that just sounds about right. But a book actually changed her life. I think my grandfather bought me this book when I was fifteen,、mm-hmm. or maybe even fourteen, and it was this book called Fruits, and it was all about Japanese street style. And I had never seen anything like it. Street style wasn't a thing yet; like it wasn't really like everywhere the way it is now. Wasn't accessible, so I found this. I had this book, and I would just—I probably looked at that book a thousand times. Like I knew it by heart, and it was just these pages of all these amazing Tokyo young people, but、mm-hmm. and how they styled them, their outfits, and everyone was so different, so creative. I was literally obsessed with this book,、um, and I think that's probably when I started to want to do that as a job because. There was just something that was so personal about how they were putting together their outfits, and it was、mm-hmm. so inspiring. And so then, from that point, that's when I started, you know, looking at fashion shows, and that's when I started like really. So you always love drawing, yeah. But now at fifteen, you actually realize, okay, this is could be something there. Yeah. So then I would start drawing the、mm-hmm. clothes and of, of in that book, I would just like obsessively redraw the clothes that they、mm-hmm. were wearing, or. I would start kind of designing my own things, or looking at runway shows and kind of like drawing my version of those things. So、mm-hmm. I was kind of ripping off what other people were doing, but that was kind of how I like figured it out.、Right. I think at the beginning, and I was just doing it for fun. Like I hadn't really thought it through until maybe like grade twelve, when I was like, okay, now I have to decide what I'm going to do. And then I, it really just like I got fixated on this idea of becoming a fashion designer. Big dream of grade twelve was going to Parsons in New York, and it was like that. I was the only school I applied to, and it was like the only school I cared about. Was, I was going to go there. All the big, you know, cool designers had gone there, and、um, and I got in, and you know, I thought, okay, great, like I'm doing this. I'm moving to New York, and my parents were basically like, we can't afford to send you here because it's, you know. Very expensive. Five times、yeah. as much, you know, plus、right. living in New York and all this. So that was pretty heartbreaking for me because I had built up this idea up so much of going to this school,、mm-hmm. and so kind of at the last minute I applied to Ryerson as like my backup plan.、Wow. And luckily, you know, of course, I ended up going there, and I don't regret it at all. And I was so happy I went there、mm-hmm. because I really did learn a lot. Now, for years past, Stephanie's desire for New York not only hasn't died down yet, but built up even more. But life is interesting, though. Cool things often happen when least expected. When I had just kind of finished my, I guess, yeah, fourth year, because I hadn't hadn't had my chance to go to New York, I still was very much like fixated on this idea of going to New York. And I spent the whole summer trying to find an internship or a job or some re- some way that I could get there. I just wasn't finding anything, and I like was really struggling. And no one was getting back to me, and all this you know frustrating stuff. So I had actually the previous year I had gone to Paris for a class in the summer and had studied with a bunch of different teachers who were all young designers and、uh, learned a bunch of like couture techniques and really it was like a really creative、uh, class.、Um, So I had emailed my one of my old teachers, and I had asked her like, "Hey, I'm having no luck finding a, an internship in New York. Do you know anyone? Can you recommend me someone or something like that?" And she was she was from Paris, and she said, 
well, why don't you just like come to Paris and work for me? And I was like, oh. <laughs> so basically. That's a nice offer. Yeah. So basically a month after getting that email, I got on a plane and moved to Paris for, I don't know, three or four months and worked for Christine. And, um, and that was awesome. That was great. Just one of the best experiences of my life. And then and living there on my own and all that. It was towards the end of that that three months or whatever it was. I started kind of looking again. Okay, New York, New York. Why am I so fixated on New York? Right. <laughs> started looking again for internships. And then had found this print and embroidery post that had come up for Philip Lynn. And I had always really like thought that was a cool place to work. I always really wanted to work there. So this thing comes up. I applied for it and got an interview. So basically I had finished my internship in Paris, flew home to Toronto, two days later, got on a plane, went to New York, did an interview, got the job, moved to New York like a couple months later and stayed there for a while. So that was kind of how I, so I finally got my New York, you know, New York dream. dream. (laughs) In the end, ironically, I could have stayed and stayed with the company and I chose not to because I kind of was done with it and I realized, Mm -hmm. okay, I don't really want to live here and I'm kind of, I'm ready to go back to Toronto and see what Toronto has to offer now, so. Why is that? Because all New York has built up this whole thing for you. Yeah. And then when you're actually there, kind of living the dream and now you like decided to let go. Yeah. That was a weird time because as you said, I had built it up so much and I loved my job, loved Mm -hmm. what I was doing. It was so interesting, learned so much, Mm -hmm. but my whole life was just my job. Like I... You know, we would be at the studio sometimes till like 11.30 at night or something like insane because it was just so intense. And so I found I found it really hard to actually connect with other people because everyone's like that. Everyone's such a workaholic. And I started to realize like this isn't really the life that I want. Like I don't want to just be immersed in a computer like for like 10 hours a day and then just go home and go to bed. Like so... I just started to feel like something was lacking um, and, and I wasn't really making those like relationships and friendships. Um, and, I, and I started to also get this feeling like, what am I doing? Like, is fashion kind of pointless? Is it kind of frivolous? There's so many designers. What am I going to do? I'm just going to work for another designer. I'm just going to be another designer. Like, I don't really get what the point of this is. So I really had like this weird period at the end of New York of being like this I have to, something's off something's not right and like mm-hmm. I don't feel good and I don't know why and I can't I can't figure it out so so you went through so the I, whole kind of like yeah um, quarter um, life crisis and so searching kind, kind of, of it was early because I think I had more of a crisis like <laughs> a few years later but it was it was the beginning mm-hmm. of like this weird pushing back against fashion and um and kind of reevaluating what was important to me, which I hadn't expected was going to happen because I was so like ambitious and career oriented and all this stuff. Um, so yeah, I moved back to Toronto and with no plan and with not without really turned down this job in New York first of all, which was like very weird choice mm-hmm. for me. Was there any adjustment period there, or the, you yeah. just kind of dive right in? There was a very long adjustment period because basically I had spent you know, whatever it was, five years on this very strict path that I had set for myself, which was all about becoming a designer and all about who, where are you going to work and you're going to work for the best, like coolest brand, whatever. You're going to travel, you're going to do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So 
all of a sudden, I had just kind of like thrown, gone off course, which was so unnerving for me. And I was also questioning fashion, whether I wanted to be in it. And I came back to Toronto and I decided I was going to be a freelance illustrator. That was just like, I don't know why. I kind of thought that fashion's silly and maybe this is more of like a noble pursuit. It's more of, you know, you're more of an artist if you do illustration for whatever, you know, whatever. I, I don't know why why I decided this. But <laughs> um, So I spent about a year and a half or so um, kind of trying to like make this freelance illustration thing happen and having a day job and whatever and really just not like very very much feeling lost and confused mm-hmm. and stuff not very fulfilling creatively and for all the, these other ambitions that I had had so I spent this long period very confused very frustrated and I was noticing that my two closest friends from university Kelly and Kendra also were having this weird period of like working for other people but not feeling like they were really using all the skills that they had and feeling kind of like stifled. We started getting together um, and doing these like monthly kind of dinners where we would make a big like beautiful dinner and we would just have to do some kind of creative project. So it could just be like drawing in your sketchbook. It could be like knitting, like Kendra was an amazing knitter. And we just came to look forward to those so much. Like it was just, there was something about it that was really special because it wasn't just about making something. It was like about the three of us getting together and having this, almost this little community and like bouncing ideas off each other and just like helping each other, giving each other advice about whatever project we were working on. It felt really like it was bigger than just these little dinner parties. We started talking about like, okay, how can we kind of make this a thing? How can we turn this into like our full-time thing even? That was kind of when Bone Set started to come together. How's the name came about? The name was something we struggled with so much. Um, Oh, trust me. (laughs) Yeah. We were like, I know that. Oh, God. It was like, we just, we would like pick a name and then like the next week we'd be like, no, we can't. No, that's not right. So we kept going back and forth on all these different things. And finally, I don't know. I think it was Kelly. She just put together a list of all these like flowers. We were just kind of going through it. And then Bone Set was one of them. And we were all like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, what is that? And we just liked that it would sound kind of like a little bit ambiguous, a little bit masculine, masculine, a little bit feminine hard and soft and oh so that's actually it's a flower so it's actually a flower oh i didn't know that but it has the flower itself had no special significance but we just liked how the name sounded Mm -hmm. and that it could kind of like yeah it was kind of ambiguous at the beginning you guys were doing like a a little bit of everything yeah selling candles clothing Yeah. (laughs) yeah um more of just trying to figure out and have fun Exactly. Just kind of whatever we felt like working on. But mm-hmm. it was really the, the working together and collaborating that kind of mm-hmm. like fueled it. When you're a young designer and you're trying to start your own line, for example, by yourself, you know, it's like you'll just spend like hours alone in a studio working and not speaking to anyone and not collaborate. Like, because you're just, that's it's just all you. It was really special to have this time with those those two girls to the three of us kind of support each other and like 
I don't think I would have been able to start this company on my own. Mm -hmm. I think I needed the support of those two to like, and I think we all needed it at the time just to like support each other creatively. It very much began like a side project and a vehicle for these three girls to create and collaborate. But then they started getting requests from their friends, their friends' friends, asking them to design and make something for them. This was a light bulb moment for Stephanie. An opportunity has led them to pivot the business from an online e-commerce store to a unique model. Over those two years, we started getting requests from our friends who would see something we had made or would just have an idea for a project and would ask us like, hey, could you make me this bag? Or like, hey, could you make me this jacket or whatever? And something about that was like really interesting to me specifically to be doing these one-off projects for people. And and we would like sit down and have these like coffee dates and talk, like hash out all these ideas for specifically what our friend wanted um, and then do fittings and all this stuff. So that was like really cool. I'd always really liked the idea of like going more towards custom. And like, I always really loved how tailors for men make mm-hmm. custom suits and all those things. And I was like, there's nothing like that for women, really. Like, there's not really, like, a cool... Like, sure, you could go to your a seamstress and have them, like, sew up a... F- you know, if we bought them, like, a photo, like, Ed, can you make this? But mm-hmm. there was no one really doing, like, custom design that was actually nice. Like, mm-hmm. that wasn't cheesy and that wasn't cocktail dresses and that sort right. of thing. So I started getting, like, really into those projects. And I kind of was starting to figure out what I wanted and going back towards fashion engaged in it again and Kelly was kind of like going off on her own direction doing tattooing and Kendra was kind of like going off on her own direction so it just kind of naturally progressed towards me taking it over until finally the the two girls were like you know what like do it go for it Mm -hmm. like it's yours it's been about a full year of just me being in charge and doing only custom stuff so that was kind of the transition we've been working together for this project Mm -hmm. Probably when the podcast is out, my dress will be out yeah. already. Um, but to me, it's been really special because, um, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, it's more like process co-designing it. Yeah. Kind of image in my head, the mood board really come to life. So yeah. that's part I really love. So how did this whole process come about? Like from start to finish, the consultation from the beginning to end as a business and then to monetize it. Mm-hmm. So now you can actually take it from just a side project to a business itself. Um, yeah. So basically the process, um, and I did a lot of research into what other companies were doing for customizing things. Companies not related to fashion, but just seeing that there was this trend towards customers wanting to be more involved in the process and getting away from really ready-made things that everybody else has towards making things more personal and being involved in that process. So I was seeing a lot of like research to back that up, which I felt was intuitively like where things were going to go for, for the fashion industry. And I was also seeing, actually my dad was going and having his suits made for his work. And I would kind of go with him and see this process and ask the tailor about how he was kind of running his business. And he was so open and helpful about it. So I was getting more and more requests from friends who had either like they wanted another piece or now they were telling their friends and their friends were like oh my god I've never you know I've always had this idea but I Mm -hmm. never knew how to put it together and so there was all this feedback really backing up what I was 
kind of feeling was the right thing to do in a way goes back to like my whole maybe the thing that that I didn't like about New York which was the sense of disconnect and then here was this thing where it was extremely connected it was extremely personal and one-on-one and collaborative with each person that felt really like exciting that transition into like making it a business the thing that I realized was important from a money perspective was that I couldn't make these garments for a store it couldn't have a retail markup because then it would just be like so insanely expensive it would be inaccessible Mm -hmm. and then i would lose touch with the customer yeah so that was like a big thing that i had to be direct to the customer so that is how i make money because Mm -hmm. otherwise you know if i was trying to sell it in the store it would just be impossible and that was another thing makes this business work i don't have to buy huge quantities of fabric i strictly buy what i need for each person so not only is that good for keeping my expenses down but it's also good because it's more sustainable you're not you know when you're a designer you have to buy huge bolts of fabric and you end up wasting so much like having worked for other designers i just see how much waste there is and how like pointless that is you don't need to have so much and then they end up like just sits in the studio or they have to sell it off you know at super discounted price so there's so that is another uh way that this has worked for me And then, of course, I am lucky that I get so many referrals now through word of mouth. And I think that's like the biggest, what's the word? It's the best vote of confidence if your friend is telling you like, hey, I got this, like you should get something. You know, you're going to trust your friend more than any mm-hmm. anyone else so yeah by working with you i realized a lot of time management you have to mm-hmm. encounter with this business yeah um because we have to go through the consultation period the mm-hmm. fitting the measurement and then the second uh fitting and then the final project a lot of like a little bit of here a little bit there involved with each project mm-hmm. i can see really busy mm-hmm. how can you kind of manage your time so you'd be more efficient at mm-hmm. the same time each client is still being taken care of. Yeah, that's an important question because I'm I'm at the point now where my business is growing quickly and I'm trying to figure out how to keep the one-on-one and have a lot of time to design because that's really important and make the construction part more efficient and cost-effective. Because I've been doing this for like a year plus, I have a very good system now with consultation to sketches to swatches and to pattern making. I know pretty much approximately how much time I need for each of those steps. All those things are kind of calculated in my pricing, I guess. And because I've done it enough times, I kind of know like how much time I need for each thing. That kind of takes care of itself. But the thing that now I'm trying to look into is like, okay, how can I kind of get a production person or a seamstress? So those are questions I'm definitely trying to figure out for next year, especially. And I'm not really sure what the right Mm -hmm. route is, but you know, we'll see. Being in the business for a year and a bit now, what were the kind of the mistakes you made Mm -hmm. when you just started this whole customization one-on-one process? Mm-hmm. That you wish, oh, of course, no mistakes a mistake if you can learn yeah. from it. But what kind of mistakes you wish, oh, maybe I wish I knew it a little bit earlier so I didn't have to go through it to maybe waste time mm-hmm. or money. I think probably undercharging at the very beginning and not counting all the hours I was spending on certain tasks like sketches or re- like research is huge. Like I spend so much time, um, especially if someone doesn't know specifically what they want, which is fine. But I do have to like spend a lot of time kind of like gathering ideas and it's easy to undervalue that time because you're like, oh, I'm just like sitting on the computer, like looking at images or like going to the library or whatever. But that is like you're still working. So 
that's probably where I made mistakes at the beginning. And then like, you know, I, I still make silly mistakes. Like I don't measure my fabric correctly and then I won't buy enough and then I have to go back and buy more. Like that is such a amateur mistake, but sometimes I still make it like if I'm in a rush. So, you know, taking the time to do that properly is like worthwhile. <laughs> yeah. And I do remember when we did the measurement, you mm-hmm. had like how many items you have to measure. Oh yeah. I think it was like On the body, over yeah. 30. Yeah, I think it is over 30. Yeah. So I was that, like, oh yeah. my God, that is so detailed. <laughs> yeah, but that's but the thing arm, I've learned. my fingers. <laughs> Do you need to measure my Your nail? Length? No. Yeah, nail. <laughs> but that's wow. true. That's something I probably have figured out over this year as well of having like a standard uh, measurement system, um, which I didn't have at all at the beginning. I just was like, okay, waist, bust, like hip, you know, that's it. But yeah. there are so many more things. Um, I mean, it depends what you're making, but. That's also a good kind of having systems for those things save so much time mm-hmm. as well. And it's kind of fascinating to me that you are an artist, but you have <laughs> monetized this to be a business. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of uh, artists struggling is how to balance these two together, mm-hmm. be an artist, be creative, do what they love. At the same time, mm-hmm. can make it living and then to monetize your dream. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you feel like you can share from your mistakes or from something you've learned? Well, I actually have to say, like, I don't really think of myself as an artist because I am in a business and I am, it's important to make money for me. Not that I'm trying to take advantage of my clients at all. I think I'm very fair with what I charge and I try and really, like, um, make it accessible for, for clients and I don't want it to be such a high luxury either. But I don't think of myself as an artist because I think art should be about a very like unique expression of your whatever like your authentic self whereas what I'm doing is different because it it's about working with another person and trying to provide them this service to reflect something that they uh, want and need and feel that can express them and at the same time I am like I do marketing, like I do, I'm trying to get new clients. So those things cancel out in my mind, the art of it in a sense. So I think of myself as a designer strictly because it is a business. Because I think if you're an artist, as soon as you start thinking about who's my customer, who am I going to sell this to? I think you're getting away from like what you're really trying, like your true expression. Not that there isn't creativity and and artistry involved in what I do, but it's, um, it's always important to me guess my point is the client is the most 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 important thing to me I'm always thinking about them with everything that I'm I do and I want it to be I want them to be happy and I want it to be like suited to them Um, and I don't think you have that when you're an artist when you're a true artist I do try to approach it as a service first and foremost, and how can I best serve each person? Um, And I think that's probably what makes it successful because I try to remove my like personal ego from it as much as I can um, and not make it about me. Look at me, I'm like a designer. And I think what so many young designers do, which is fine um, because they're expressing their creativity and putting themselves out there. But 
I'm not really trying to like do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's a really important point. The purpose, whatever you in you where you belong in the society or the community, is actually when you find your purpose to serve other people. I think you've described it so accurately because I think that's what it comes down to. My crisis after New York and after all that, because I think I was so wrapped up in I'm going to be a designer. I'm going to do this. I'm going to accomplish all these things. And of course, I care about accomplishing goals, but. There was a shift that where I realized I have a gift, and it's very specific, and it's that I know I can see someone's personal style or what they kind of aspire to have, and I can just see it very, very clearly. And I, it's just like an innate talent, and I'm not trying to be like toot my own horn, but I just know what my strength is. And but that's important to know. It is strength. important. It yeah. is important. So. I can. I knew that I had had this talent, and it's there for me to give back and provide someone else with with like that feeling of fulfillment if I can, you know. And it's so it's there. So I was kind of I have this like natural thing, but it's there for me to to use in the world in like a in the best way that I can figure out how to use it. All that soul searching time over the last few years, like. It's kind of become more refined and more refined and more refined, moving away from like it's all about me and it's all about what I can do and all about like I'm an artist towards more like I'm here to serve other people like you said and how can this very specific talent be used to serve those people and I feel like that's why I think I know that I'm on the right path now because that's what is behind everything that I do and all my choices now. Remember, you shared with me this exercise that your friend shared with you. Yeah, I did it myself too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's really helpful. It's very 100%. helpful. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, would you mind share that exercise? So it's it great. It's like a journaling um, exercise, and I think definitely helps me kind of figure everything out for myself at a very difficult, weird crisis point in my life. But basically, you kind of list all the things that are important to you, things that influence you, and people that influence you. And you make this really extensive list. Take time to do this, and then you go back and you edit it down. You try to really streamline it to like the most essential things. And that process shows you. Well, it showed me, anyways. Like what I really, what's really important to me, and like what are the foundation blocks of like who I am in a sense. Mm-hmm. And then that's where it kind of everything like clicked into place. And I was like, oh, I know what I need to do now. <laughs> so what are the three things that oh my God. I can't are important to you? I thought it externally. Um, I, it's, now it's been like over a year since I did this. So I don't even remember exactly what I wrote down as like, but it's like, it's clear in my Maybe mind. Maybe one thing or two things. You yeah, I think sort of what I described this talent for like seeing within other people what they're, they're like, ideal Ah, I can't even I can't even it's it's more boiled down than that it's like an appreciation for making life beautiful Mm -hmm. is kind of one of my like core foundation essence things Mm -hmm. and um, you sound a little bit vague to me yeah how do you kind (laughs) of detail it I mean, it I mean, is make, vague. Make, it definitely <laughs> makes sense to you. It makes but sense I mean, to me, yeah. But, yeah, but I feel like, oh, I if I want to imagine it. Yeah, I think it's like, it's something like my reason to live is to see the beauty in, 
in everydayness and wow. then give that back somehow. That's beautiful. Something like that. That's so poetry. Poetic. <laughs> <laughs> It's beautiful though. It's something, yeah. yeah, it's something like it's so much more clear in my own like subconscious. But um, what about internally? Yeah, I think that I think and I think even more in like a general way, it's like living life in a very loving manner. So doing something that I love is important, but also treating all the people around me and the people I work with with, with love and trying to kind of come at things from their perspective and try and like be compassionate and understand what they're you know when you come and you say like oh I want a dress there's Mm -hmm. so much more than just a dress right and trying to like see why does this like specific garment Mm -hmm. how does it speak to this person so I think like that's another core thing approaching everything in a really loving manner that's really nice bonsai is doing really really well Mm -hmm. i see you clients who keep coming flowing in (laughs) yeah which is exciting for you Mm -hmm. um what's kind of the next plan or milestone for you i have so many plans now (laughs) (laughs) um my really big dream which i am hoping can happen in two years or so is to buy a building where I could have a storefront space and use that as like a studio as well as having some kind of retail component and live above it or Mm. live in the same building. So like that's my next goal to like kind of expand. Mm. And my more immediate goals are like, you know, find a seamstress, find a production person, those sorts of things. Um, And I would also love to make a trip to Paris for like a fabric buying trip and form relationships with uh, wholesalers or something like that, you know, so I can get more interesting, diverse things for the studio for the clients. I mean, it's not like a a very grand plan, but the plan is that I can just keep doing this from my life as my full-time job and you know, that I can also have a family and I can also like continue to do what I love. And that's the long-term plan. So this isn't really like a business. I don't think I'm going to just be like, okay, I'm done. You know, like I I really want this to be Mm long-term. What are the worst and the best advice you ever given? Um, Probably the worst advice is that you should try to be the best what you're doing because I think that that can be really stifling and I think that can be really like self-destructive if you're trying to be in this competitive mindset and winning over other people and jealous of other people and I think it just feeds a lot of negative energy actually I want to add on to that I heard something that recently I don't remember from who but the saying is don't be the best Mm because you're only the first one be yourself because you're the only one yeah and I guess that is kind of what I yeah so it's exactly what you just shared I think think it's really valuable so maybe the best advice on the other side of that coin is is to like be authentic to who you are and what you're doing and it doesn't matter if it's similar to what other people are doing because if it's really authentic to your voice then you know you'll do well hopefully (laughs) (laughs) i don't know awesome (laughs) so where can people find you you can find me at boneset studio on instagram or bonesetstudio.com our our website but um you can also find me in the studio every day (laughs) yeah we're actually recording in your studio yeah it's beautiful yeah, it's very dreamy. It is very dreamy. Yeah. I know. I love it here. So Great. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on the first ever episode of Dear Seekers and also the first of 2018. 
And a little fun fact here: in order to absorb the sound for a more professional result, I asked my dear boyfriend Steven to help me make these super DIY-looking soundboards. They're made by Taos. I know. I have to say, they look pretty ghetto, but they work. And since the tripod I ordered from Amazon didn't arrive on time, we had to place the mic on the table, which we end up hitting quite often, as you could hear the bang bang sound in the episode. Well, lessons learned. I promised. Next one is definitely better. I would love to hear your thoughts, good or bad. You can either write or send me a voice message at hey at dearseekers.com, or find us on Instagram at dearseekers. Our website is almost ready, and all the beautiful photographs taken by my dear friend Vayu Law will be released there. See you on the next episode. Until then, happy seeking.